the view from here. <laughs> It's almost Japanese. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Time to uh, ask questions, <laughs> watch your doubts. What happens to the Vitakada after that? <laughs> you haven't planned anything. They're coming. Yeah. What do you want to do? Maga Puja is on Monday. If you want to prepare that, or walk around the stupa. <laughs> yeah, but in the stupa there's the relics and things.
Like energy, myriad and samadhi, they find a balance with each other. So, like in the five indriyas, there's sati, and then in mindfulness, there's virya and samadhi, like concentrating the energy, focusing it. And, uh, Like when we don't focus, then we get restless. And uh, energy kind of disperses. Now like contemplating the five indriya is always the satta, virya, sati, samadhi, panya. You have the satta and panya as a kind of balancing each other, you know, faith and wisdom, and then uh, energy and concentration, balanced through mindfulness, sati. <coughs> then like apathy, in a negative state, uh, lack of faith. Uh, one gets apathetic and and uh, <coughs> indifferent to. Usually, just uh, not put it, taking any interest, not put, not concentrating the mind. Not, developing also like like people that depend a lot on inspiration get apathetic very easily like you, you're always looking for for some some kind of thing to up, uplift you and uh, inspire your mind and therefore it, you can only do that so much and then it, then uh, it's hard to find, it's hard to just depend on inspiration. So that's where, like developing energy, like really bringing energy up through the body and putting effort, like even in sitting, to just sit and, and just kind of feel your body and, you know, work with the body to energize it. Um, do a lot of mindfulness with the body sensations. So, you know, it's very Like the awakened state of mind, it just uh, it is, uh, you know, it's so, when, when one gets apathetic, one doesn't want to be bothered even being mindful. You just don't care. 
<laughs> and so uh, that so like paying attention to that, even to the mental state of apathy, you know, being mindful of it helps to uh, rather than trying to get rid of it uh, to to explore it you know take an interest in the actual condition so that you're you know you can by that very act of, of awareness around the way things are then you're in a state of you know where the a balance point that has energy in it, but it isn't like willful, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, just a willful act, it's a state of awakened awareness and looking at something that exists without, you know, not with a critical eye, but with a, an interesting, an eye that taking an interest in it. But the emotional world is, it's so convincing, if we're depending on our emotions all the time, then we easily just sink, go into emotional states and, and believe it, you know, never bother to look at it. So, uh, it's just this continuous F, uh, kind of awakenness. After a while, you, you know, like when you really contemplate the condition and, and the, 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 the kind of sequence that goes on, you're, you're having this connected mindfulness. You're not just mindful, uh, just a, like, like flashes and that, but it has a sustainability, sustaining, connected. Otherwise, our mindfulness tends to just go you know, like, like flashes, <laughs> yeah, but but the points in between the flashes are, are you know mindful of. Them. That's why being aware of a change of impermanence, because you you're aware of like condition, its presence and its absence. So you you're really noting the absence of something too. You know, you so that your mindfulness connects to the to the to the process that's taking place. So it's, your mindfulness is, is like sustained through the through the process. Where the condition itself, you can, you know, you, you just you, if you just get if you just concentrate on the condition itself, then you get caught in in the quality of it, and the peak moment of it, or the dreariness of it, or you one just reacts to the to the quality of the condition in the state of awareness, then quality is no longer the issue, but the but the uh, but the impermanence of it and the absence of it. Like they they talk a lot about seeing a Nietzsche in all the condition, but also see the. But, uh, but then that emphasizes the beginning and ending of conditions. But then there's the, then there's the, uh, the, 
the unconditioned or the space and and we don't usually notice that we aren't conscious we don't let that become conscious till we till we learn how to sustain mindfulness through through the through the con, uh, the condition itself to its cessation the gaps Deepak Chopra he was I heard a tape of his one time this kind of New Age Guru, Deepak Chopra, he talks about the gaps, being mindful of the gaps. Uh, somebody else has figured that one out too. <laughs> He's making millions of pounds out of it. <laughs> Do you think that's coming from uh, yeah, meditation? <laughs> this may be one of those how many angels can dance in the head of a pin question, but I, I find <laughs> my conscience. I find it easy to be aware and sit with critical things, if someone's critical and I can watch my reaction, watch my not wanting my reaction and so on. When I say easy, I don't mean it's comfortable, it's just that I can really bring awareness. Praise causes me some problems sometimes. Not that I get too much, but that <laughs> when it comes up, it's pleasant. So if you bring awareness to it, it's pleasant, it's warm, it's nourishing. It doesn't seem, and I think, you know, sort of look for attachment perhaps. I don't wallow in it, you know, go on for an hour and it goes away and it comes back. About the third time, fourth time it might come up, um, I'm thinking, is it already attached? The reason it feels so good is that it's a desired object. It's, has it already happened at that point? I should, I've already attached to it. <laughs> like I don't want to repress it and throw it away. It's, it feels, it, it's, it's good in that sense, it's nourishing. Do you see what I'm but you can get attached to the idea you shouldn't be attached. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking. Why should I be in some way pushing this away or yeah. even wanting it not to be there? Yeah. How yeah. many times can it come up without attachment? <laughs> Sorry, I'll let... That's just... Pleasure, you know, attachment would mean you're, you're always seeking some kind of praise or, or depending on it or doing things to get praised. And but uh, praise and blame are. Or, uh, you know, that's the, the world for us is the, the happiness and suffering of praise and blame. So, so like, praise is pleasant, blame isn't. I mean, that's the way it is. But sometimes uh, when we're, this 
blame is because it is painful. It's, it's, it's uh, somehow pain is easier to be aware of. And then praise. Uh, with, with, with a lot of us, we feel, <clears throat> you know, uh, kind of oftentimes embarrassed about praise. So there's, a, there's a, also a feeling of liking praise and also kind of afraid of it too, afraid that will inflate us. So these, these are all things to watch your own, just, you know, observe your own kind of way you deal with it and, and the kind of attitudes around this being praised or... Because we can, you know, I, you know, as an idea we can think, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't want praise or I don't need praise or I shouldn't, I shouldn't want praise. I shouldn't need it. And, and well, that's a, that's another attachment we have is that with the ideal of I shouldn't I shouldn't like being praised. So and some people you praise and they say, I say, oh, you're really good. And they say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Almost the immediate reaction, you know, to like the. They can't, you know, they, they have a, obviously decided that that they don't have any praiseworthy qualities. <laughs> the, in, uh, in the, uh, like, uh, in uh, Thailand, for example, like, like in uh, Ajahn Chah was always getting us to uh, remember our good qualities, and uh, this was, this I found quite difficult because we don't think like that in the West. You know, we don't think of we think it's like boasting or you know inflating yourself if you think you're good in anything or you you know so you you tend to dwell on your faults a lot. You know, so we can like. I can be quite honest about my faults, and uh, you know my weaknesses and that. And then my good qualities, I would find uh, you know, almost a kind of resistance. I remember trying to write them out on a piece of paper. You know, wrote out. I could write lists of faults, but when it came to virtues and good qualities. <laughs> Right in my brain, <laughs> because I never, never perceive myself in in terms of positive perceptions, only in in terms of negative ones. So it's not that I don't have any positive qualities, but they never, I've never, never uh, noticed, never consciously uh, uh, appreciated the good thing, the, the goodness, my own goodness. And there's also a, this kind of, of uh, false humility that, that we can have, thinking, you know, you don't, it's dangerous to think of yourself in any positive way. Like you'll go to your head, you'll become arrogant. Or boasting, like 
bragging and boasting. Like here in England, nobody boasts or brags. It's so despised. <laughs> and then everything's understated, you know. Uh, Americans are more willing to boast. <laughs> but uh, the uh, but this isn't boasting. It's not like like just uh, you know trying to tell people how good you are. But it's really being honest with uh, you know with yourself. And so I just started noticing, you know, that I really why why do I come into a monastery? Why would I? What, what brings me into monastic lives? Because I really want to be good. That's, that's a virtue, isn't it? The love of the good, or uh, moral. I want to, I want to be a moral being. I don't want to be irresponsible and and uh, harmful to other people or other other to the society. So, this listing in, in my, you know, I have, uh, I'm quite. Uh, when I commit myself to something, I'm quite. I, have a lot of tenacity. I'll stick with it. Things like this. Uh, just thinking of, of my virtues, and then this is, uh, and this is not, not, you know, they begin to, to, uh, you know, you develop a sense of, of self-respect that you can't have if you're always just deriding yourself, or just seeing yourself only in negative terms. And, uh, and it doesn't mean, I, I, uh, you know, you, 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 you use only the, the positive ones, but I think we're pretty well uh, already uh, highly developed critics of the negative. <laughs> so it took, it took quite, a, quite a determination. To uh, to bring this up, in the well, this is so so like praising yourself. Is it, praise isn't you know can be seen as just kind of exaggerating, uh, but but it also can be seen as, as kind of an honest admission of you know respecting the good things, your good qualities, like like just humanity in general, you know, we can the modern view of humanity is negative, isn't it? It's pretty ugly, consumerism, and uh, greedy, selfish people, human beings. Usually, when it, when you want to justify weaknesses, you say, "Well, I'm only human," don't you? <laughs> you know, so any weakness you have. Uh, and fault, you, you, you know, and I say, you know, you have this fault, and you say, well, I'm only human. That, that means that you see human beings as weak, basically weak with faults and flaws. But then, so even humanity can be seen through, through, uh, through uh, the, the negative. But in, if you uh, begin to recognize the hum human, the good side of being human, you see, like when, like the capitalism, free market economies tend to to see us as consumers, uh, encourage vanity of all sorts, 
selfishness. It encourages us to be very self-centered. And, and uh, you know, uh, spend our money, not be thrifty, but always, and, and to be envious of others, you know, jealous. And, we want to be, and be competitive, trying to outdo somebody, uh, you know, to prove that, you know, somehow the only way we think we're better is, is, or have a positive image is if we can conquer somebody or outwit somebody, you know. So even that isn't a very, uh, on virtues, just being able to, to uh, get one on somebody else is not, not, not a, a positive quality, but that's oftentimes encouraged in the, in the society that kind of behavior. But then, in terms of, but you can look at humanity in the other way also, in a, uh, like in the Buddhist uh, <coughs> Buddhist perception of humanity, manusia, manusia uh, is uh, uh, manusia is uh, one of the great gifts of. Uh, Manusia of a human being is that we can choose to be moral. We have a choice. We don't have to be. <laughs> but we have, I mean, that's something we choose to do, you know. So that, that's, uh, that's something very good, you know, and admirable about our humanity in general. And, and our, we can feel compassion for, for I mean, we can, we can feel <clears throat> universal compassion. For, for not just for our own group or species, but for everything, we can uh, we can we love uh, you know we truth and beauty and honesty and and goodness and, and so these are qualities of human beings of of, hum, of humans. So when you're and we and we have the potential for, for enlightenment. You know, so, so we have this great gift, uh, reflective mind. We have a Buddha mind. We can reflect on experience. So then you're you're looking at your humanity as as a really as a beautiful thing, rather than just in terms of weaknesses, vanity, uh, selfishness. So this is like 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 just recognize how you know, the cultural conditioning we have is one way. And that's usually, you know, very much in a, in a system where they want to, to arouse greed in you. Because the economy depends on making everybody greedy and vain. To have the economy flourish. You've got to make people want things they don't need. And be jealous and envious of everyone else. <laughs> so that they'll work hard to get money to you know, we gotta be one up on the neighbors and that. So I mean it so that we can be like that, there's no question that that's not a uh it's an obvious uh, observation about human nature. But but also in that pro in the, in doing that we tend to forget the real virtuousness, the beauty of our humanity and just put it down as and, you know, just greedy consumers. So it's a way to reflect on, on, on yourself, you know, your own character, your humanity.
masculinity or femininity, you know, contemplate uh, the, the virtuousness of masculinity and femininity. Because now there's a lot of talk about, you know, male, female, and things like this, and, and a lot of opinions about men are like this, and women are like that. And, and oftentimes, it's easy to see men only in negative terms. Are all men bad? And I saw this in the newspaper, it says, are all men bad? But bad means good now, doesn't it? <laughs> and then, uh, and then, then you can have views about women, you know, just about, you know, views uh, about seeing women in, in just negative perceptions. And hold to those women, you know, what they're like, and just dismiss the whole lot of them. And, and that is, uh, and, 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 and all these things have a truth. I mean, men, we can be brutes and, and insensitive brutes and arrogant bastards and the whole lot, you know, and quite capable of, of, of the horror stories that go around about men and women can be, you know, they're bad, the dark side is equally bad. But, but then when you're contemplating the good qualities of male, female, like of masculinity, I mean, having a male body, having this, uh, this karma, then contemplate what, is the, what are the good qualities of masculinity? You know, and so that you're, you're holding in your mind the, the things that, that they're not, they're not uh, like, inflating yourself, you're being quite honest, so you begin to appreciate what you have, who you are, appreciate your humanity, your masculinity, your, your own uh, character. And that way you, you, you know, you, this gives you a sense of self-respect and respecting others, because then you start looking at others and you're not just seeing them in negative terms not just uh, dismissing them with the, maybe the stereotypes that, that we acquire about uh, people, races of people, or ethnic groups, or men and women, and so but they, or classes of people. We, we're, we're looking in much more deeply and clearly at the way it is. And so looking at people in, in, in kind of acknowledging their, their beauty and goodness is, is a way to, you know, uh, to help everyone. Because, uh, you know, we usually are worried about what people think of us because usually we think people are critical. You know, what do, you, know, what do you probably, you know, people... What do you, what do you, what do you, all of you people you know think of me? I used to be scared to death of of saying, uh, okay, uh, tell me what you really think of me. <laughs> because I'd assume that that people then felt that you know that they would uh, that then they would just see the the negative side of me. You know, that would be what people see. But, um, 
and that's not to dismiss that. I'm not, you know, not not denial or 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 refusal to look at that side, but but we also need to balance that with the with the positive. What was that beautiful chance this morning, Mike? When we were meditating, at the beginning of the meditation, there was this sort of melancholic chant. You have to ask. <laughs> oh, well, someone else on our side knew. I thought maybe it was something that sounded like our <laughs> Mantra, Shakyamuni, the the Buddha. Can you say it, the mantra? Is it just Buddha's name? Shakyamuni, right. They intone it. Yeah. Coming back to the question which Prana asked, there is this uh, teaching of the Buddha called the Four Itipadas, which are translated as bases or roads to success. Success meaning like success in meditation or success in the spiritual, on spiritual path. And they are like Chandra, uh, interest, virya, energy, chitta, application of mind, and uh, Bhimansa investigation, but one doesn't hear very much about this particular teaching. But just reflecting on these qualities, uh, it seems to me that they are quite essential in like, developing mindfulness. Really taking an, as, as you described, yeah. taking an interest in the present moment. Yeah, that's very important actually. The itipatas. They're in the 37 Bodhiyapakidamas also. The 37 Bodhiyapakidamas are the kind of the whole thing, you know, the package. <coughs> and so the itipadas are, are in that. And they're uh, like, like Chanda is. is uh, what interest or appreciation or something? Chanda, like if you have chanda for something, that means you're, you're interested or you're, you're, you're attracted, and uh, and you're, you, uh, you you have, and that gives you energy, virya. I mean, if you're interested in something, you've got energy from that interest, and then. Uh, Chitta is, uh, in this case, applying the mind or, yeah, contemplating it or, you know, reviewing it. And, and among us, in, like investigating, looking into. So that, those are, they say that applies both to worldly and to spiritual development. Not just spiritual, but I mean, if you want to be a success in the world, want to make a million pounds, you develop the four itipatas. And if you notice, p successful people, like say in worldly terms, usually have those, you know, tremendous uh, development of, of the four itipatas. Well, then the same applies in, in spiritual development. Because 
like like to, to like with developing mindfulness, and rather than <clears throat> with so so like oftentimes people approach in a negative way, you know, trying to get rid of everything. So I mean the tendency to to just like deny, get rid of, reject what you don't like, and uh, and that of course doesn't work. Is a suppression, and if you suppress, then you then eventually you just you can suppress for so long, and then it all just kind of comes back on you very badly, and so you you know whatever you suppress, you can only you can't keep it suppressed. It'll eventually kind of come on, you know, hit you, uh, rebound kind of thing. So like. Uh, You can see in yourself, the more you suppress any emotion, then, and you can get away with it for a while. You can actually control your mind for a while, but then there'll be something that'll happen and it'll trigger off them and you'll just fall apart over maybe some trivial thing. Because of the, you know, just some, 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 the last straw that breaks the camel's back. (laughs) And it isn't very much, but it's the last one. And that's it. But but if you're uh, so so like repression is not the way so like the itipata is like taking an interest even in the the dullness of the moment or the boredom or the apathy or the investigating you know like these these words are are just in Buddhism you've got to emphasize investigation examination looking into and so these words are so. Uh, emphasized in, in Buddhist practice. To investigate something, you, you know, you have to, you, you can't just dismiss, you've got to look and, and take time and, and uh, see, you know, look at it in perspective and look at it from different angles, you know, and look at it from here, from there, take an interest. So, like this welcoming practice I recommend, I find that this helpful. Whenever I start feeling, oh no, not the, I think, welcome. And suddenly I change, you know, because I, I, I have a habit of pushing away, you know. Oh no, not this, I don't even bother with that. No, no, welcome. <laughs> So that, uh, uh, and I find that very helpful, just learning to, to uh, welcome unwanted things that I, resi- that, I would, that I tend to resist. It really changes my attitude towards it. And that changing of attitude really is amazing. And how, you know, how it relieves the tension. And... Uh, where, you know, you can carry something in your mind, like, you, you know, you're thinking, we've got to have this meeting, a meeting maybe you don't want to go to. And so, having this meeting next month, yeah. and then, no, no, welcome that. <laughs> and then, and then, you, then you hear there's going to be some very, uh, uh, discussions on very contentious issues and 
Oh no, how can I get a welcome? <laughs> and just by, <laughs> by welcoming, you know, it, it just changes. Because that thing, from my character, that, that other is so strong to push away and to try to get out of something. You know, and then you kind of hold it in the mind and it, it, it kind of fulminates inside you, you know, even though you're not conscious of it a lot of the time, it's, it's there, you know, and it kind of comes up. And, uh, and then, you, then you don't even want to think that, so you even push that away, you, you know, so you, you get, you're compounding negativity with more negativity. But there's a welcoming thing it's it's kind of because it's it's kind of fun in a way to just have this sense of you know no longer trying to run up, run away from anything or get out of anything. You see everything as a as a kind of opportunity rather than as a just another thing to hassle with. Well, those are those like that's like masculinity, femininity, humanity, and uh, like uh, satta, virya, sati, samadhi, pani. The five indriya are included in the twenty-two, and then and they've got a whole list. And those are just ways of contemplating experience. Yeah, yeah. Like 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 say femininity. Contemplate, you know, because you have uh, a female body and contemplate what it is, you know, just the experience of, of a female body on consciousness. You know, I can't do that. I can only contemplate from a male body. But, but I mean, it, it does, you know, you can see that, that a female, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, you know, must, uh, having a female body must have a different effect on your consciousness than a male body has. You know, so I mean, it's just contemplating, just getting to bring into consciousness the the conditions that are that that are present. You know, so oftentimes we we just think we we men female male female, and we we have oftentimes all kinds of opinions and views about male men and male and female, and that we don't, but we don't ever really noticed. What it is, well, you know. So I, I, I contemplate. Well, what is it being masculine, having a masculine, a male body? What is that in terms of conscious experience? And then, then it's more like in this reflection. It's not trying to come up with a, with you know, standard answers, but observing the, the effect of, of, of the male body, and uh, the. Um, Humanity, manusia, and then you, you go through the list. It really, it gives you, take, you can take each one and then kind of contemplate it. But like you're looking at it inwardly rather than just trying to define it from a poly dictionary. It's easy. <laughs> 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 actually, 
you know, like 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 sada. You know, they define sada as faith. Well, then the English word faith oftentimes is aligned with kind of blind believing. You know, like people like born again Christians have a lot of faith in Jesus Christ, and so you think you just believe. You know, some of the the minister tells you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and and then you believe that, and then you have faith in that belief, and 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 so it's kind of. But you don't know. You've never met Jesus Christ, and you, you don't even know what God is. But you've got, but you've got some kind of. You, but you accept those beliefs, and then you you kind of hold to them. It's called faith. But but in, uh, in but the Pali word sada isn't that at all. You see, it's, it's, not, it's not a belief in, in something, but a, it's a, actually a kind of energy, a trustingness that, you, that, uh, that balances itself with panya, with wisdom. And so they say, like, if you have a lot of panya you, and not enough faith, then you, you can't do anything. I mean, because you, you just think, 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 and by the, and if you think too much, you're so clever that you think yourself out of it. It's, it's impossible, so you don't bother. Where faith is, is the ability to try something out, to start something, to do something, and you don't know whether you're going to succeed or fail at it. It's a, it's, it's a risk, it's a chance, but you have faith. You have something in you is willing to, out of faith, it gives you the energy to to go ahead, like to become a monk took a certain amount of faith. I didn't know whether, you know, if I thought about it too much, I probably wouldn't have been. I mean, when I was thinking too much about it, I could never make up my mind. And then suddenly I just said, ordain, <laughs> take a risk. <laughs> so I mean, it, it was that. or. Uh, but but then then you realize something you know it's it instead of kind of sneering you know faith type they be kind of stupid people that believe in any old thing but even the word faith now has a because I align the English word faith now with sada, so so when I use the English word faith, it has a it has this 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 beautiful meaning to it. It's something very good, something beautiful, rather than a sign that you're just uh, believing in things that you can't, that you don't really know anything about, because somebody told you you should. And and so like like you see in the, the, the Sada and Panya, then, then Virya and Samadhi. So, like Virya, energy, effort. And if you have too much effort, without the Samadhi, you just get incredibly restless. You're just, you're just rousing energy and you're all over the place. <laughs> but if you're, but if you, Concentrate that effort with samadhi, and it balances. You had a balance between. So they're complementary, viri and samadhi. And then sati is the ability to, like the balance point, where you can 
where you can contemplate the if there's too much effort, not enough, or too much samadhi, not enough. And it's always good to go through those indriyas because you really, then you begin to, you're changing your way of looking at just like femininity and masculinity from cultural biased perceptions oftentimes to, you know, the, the actual reality of it. And begin to, and like the hum, humanity, seeing the, the uh, you know, looking at humanity, minutia, in a, is a, in a, in a positive way. Yeah. Well, you get insights because they, they are about your experience. But they're just, they're like taking, like with India, 22 Indians, you, you're just looking at it from this point right now, like from, so you, you take one at a time and then you kind of apply it to your experience. So otherwise you can learn the list and recite it in the, when we chant Vipassana Pumi, but, but it's just a, a parrot-like. <laughs> you can say it all, but you don't, you never really look, you don't really know the reality of it. But then in, in Vipassana, practice it's to take those lists you know they're all about the present about the reality of of, of our own conscious experience and it, you know something as obvious as male female or humanity you know we can completely bypass that uh, or go just operate on the on the cultural biases we have without questioning Well, the what the both uh, anapanasati and the sweeping, the thing will help, like concentrating on the on the um, bodily sensations, sweeping through the body, and or getting the sense of whole body, because you can, you can, uh, as you, you know, you say you start from. Here and you, you you kind of follow all down through the body, but then when you get a, a feeling of the whole body, it's one one experience, and that that's very concentrated when you get that. You know, then the that's a very concentrated state. Then the then the uh, anapanasati is very, you know, it gets very refined refined conscious states and then the sound of silence helps to give you this broad kind of whole view of 
that's a concentrated state also that where the uh, but it's, it's inclusive rather than one-pointed. So those, those three I use as kind of basis, of basic techniques. The, the Anapanasati, sweeping through the body, and the sound of silence. As you keep developing that, then it, then, uh, then you do, you know, the, the samadhi is, uh, well then energy is, and samadhi and here they uh, find a balance. But it does, that's where to also contemplate the state of mind you're in, so that, because if you, if the trouble with any technique is that you get you get very attached to it, and uh, and so you, you're trying to do it even when the conditions for it aren't very good. So like like you know to just so you know if you're trying to do anapanasati as a kind of refined practice, but you're incredibly restless and and you've got a lot of emotional things, and you're trying to make yourself concentrate on on the breath. You know, and and you and you, I can't meditate. You know, I just can't do it. And it's hopeless because you're you're trying to make you're trying to take all this this kind of dispersed energy and kind of force it into this narrow passage. You can't do it. So you just feel defeated. So then, so then you uh, when you but then if you observe, you know, because it cha- it's different every time, isn't it? You know, you're not going to be the same one. Say a formal meditation when you're sitting, you're not always. In the, the conditions are always different, so so that that support that particular moment. So this is where you reflect. <clears throat> you can see just the kind of state of mind you're in, and if you're already fairly calm, okay, then anapanasati is very easy. One-pointed concentration is very good to develop. If you're, if you're feeling very kind of scattered, restless, uh, contemplation of the of the bodily sensation, or uh, just uh, kind of patient uh, with the sound of silence, just resting in the silence, letting it all just be restless in this space, and then it will calm down. You see, so you have you have. I find those three kind of techniques very helpful to and and conducive are helpful for different states of mind. But uh, you know, you hear people getting like like with like with um, some of the vipassana techniques where you contemplate a Nietzsche all the time. People get obsessed with seeing a Nietzsche. And they're attached to the idea of a Nietzsche. Or um, so they, they say, like, watch your mind. You know, we get that in this idea of, of watch your mind. And that can be just a, uh, you know, a 
a trite little thing. Or go back to the body, you know. You say, oh, John, I, my, I have problems when I sit because uh, this uh, mental state arises and I feel very, uh, makes me feel very insecure. Go back to the body. <laughs> you know, try to answer or watch your mind or something like that. So, I mean, even technique, you see, uh, isn't, anything can become habitual or perfunctory. So, so therefore, this, this mindfulness helps us to to see, to get perspective on, on our own kind of opinions and attachments we have in regard to practice. And uh, then, then, then you can, then you have to trust yourself to know what, you know, what is suitable now. And then you can experiment, you know, you don't, it's, it's up to you to, to find out, experiment. Take an interest, the itipatas. <laughs> <laughs> and what works, you know, or develop upayas. Like Ajahn Chah is really keen on, on us developing upayas, or our own skillful means. So he wasn't heavy on technique particularly, but on, on the upayas. So, uh, well, some some teachers are very. You have to use their technique in a very, very de defined way. He he was more, uh, you know, encouraging upayas because uh, we each have to. We all have our own karmic qualities, so you you need to know what kind of you know what where where do you get where do you get lost? Where do you lose it? You know, where, where, where are you most vulnerable? Where are you most heedless? You know, not isn't to, to criticize yourself, but to really notice, you know, well, when this happens, I, you know, I lose it. So then you, you just by acknowledging that, then you, you, you can develop maybe a ubaya to deal with it. Like, like just the Dhanapanasati, I noticed that that uh, I could, uh, my mind wouldn't wander on the inhalation, but it always seemed to wander on the exhalation. So, so I had you know, kind of inhale, no problem. Exhale, mind goes off. So I just noticed that, you know, I just observed that. And so I <coughs> developed two parts around exhaling. You know, really, to, to, to really bring my attention to exhaling, because that's where I'd lose it, lose the concentration. And, uh, and cessation, you know, I contemplated, uh, just the, I'd contemplate, you know, the, the ending of things, or I'd take some particular aspect and really take maybe like with uh, letting go, I did I did letting go for about two years straight. Just saying let go to myself. Uh, I gave up every other practice. And so I... <laughs> just, just saying let go. Yeah. 
And well, just practicing, you know, I'd say it, and then I'd, then I'd really, you know, I'd try to, I'd contemplate letting go, because I, I just was so, such a grasping person. <laughs> and I kept reminding myself, after a while, you know, it, it's a kind of, it, it could get perfunctory too. <laughs> but it did work, it did help a lot. And, you know, I did it for about two years. Just that one. And that was an empire I developed from just watching, you know, just seeing uh, my own habits. <laughs> Well, like effort, I mean, if it's, if it's out of ignorance, then it counter, but then effort can come out of wisdom, you see. So if it's just, if like effort, willfulness, and things like this, just trying to, you know, out of the ego, that, that tends to, to be, you know, be, take us to a sense of despair. But effort is a part of our life, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's learning to, like I contemplate, you know, like, like the um, Anapanasati, you know, I put a lot of effort when I first started doing a lot, of, you know, really trying to put this enormous effort into watching the breath, and, and it wouldn't work. Because yeah, I was putting too much effort in it. This is like trying to lift a log onto a lorry, you know. To lift a log onto a lorry, you know, you need a lot of effort and in just a few seconds. So you, this heavy thing, you're lifting up and trying to get it onto the lorry. It's not a sustain, sustainable effort, but it's a kind of effort for one moment that you can take something very heavy and and get it to where you want it. And that's... That's, uh, and that was often the effort I was using to watch the breath. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I thought, no, you, the effort to watch the breath, what is that? How much effort do you need to watch the breath? You know, if I'm straining and pushing, it, that doesn't work. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gentle effort that sustains itself. So it's, a, so it's, it's not... Uh, you know, that, but then this kind of effort, watching the breath, isn't the kind of effort that's going to get a log onto a lorry. <laughs> so you, you're just aware of, of, you know, the conditions that, uh, you know, of what, what you have, to, what you're doing. So that you're, you're not just working from an idea, but from a recognition of, of well, this, you know, this kind of effort is sustainable. Where that a big effort is what you use and works for things like lifting logs, but, <laughs> but uh, and and that's appropriate for that. So that, uh, but just like willful, I used to you know really push myself 
with a lot of effort, and then just get headaches, and and I get into some type like like a kind of petrified state, get myself into really tense bodily uh, stiffness through effort, and and it was uh, you know really unpleasant. So then 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 there's four efforts. So and they so there's different you know different possibilities, and then it's up to us, up to you, to find out you know what is appropriate for, for this particular thing. And this is this you you have to know for yourself what works, what doesn't work. I remember when I had insight into letting go. I thought, it doesn't matter the words, so I thought, any words will do, you know, you can use any words. So I, I thought, I'll just take something silly like Coca-Cola, <laughs> and I tried, to, I tried to use Coca-Cola, and I couldn't, it didn't arouse any faith or interest, <laughs> you know, so I, <laughs> it, you know, it brought up a different mental state, where, where letting go, Letting go <laughs> did, you know, it was an insight. I knew, you know, I could see the, how, you know, the grasping, how clutching I am. So I grasping tendencies and this insight into letting go. And then that's the second noble truth, insight into the, you know, the insight you get from contemplating the causes of suffering, so letting go. So then I then I I found it like I just use it as a as a samatha practice first. So I I just use it uh, and inwardly I just say let go, let go. And then the mind would start wandering. If it if it started getting just perfunctory, then then the mind would start thinking about something else. So I had to put interest a uh, chanda Virya Jitta Mimangsa into it, so just into letting go, I had to make it interesting. And so I'd, I'd really, first of all, because the mind would easily drift into thought, I'd, I'd make, I'd use let go as a kind of, almost like a siren, like a, of a fire engine, you know. Let go, let go, let go. Just keep it going on a high-pitched kind of rant, just to stop any other thought from possibly appearing. And just, and, and, and I could do that, you know, just willfully, just keep it in a kind of high pinch, kind of ranting, or letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. And after a while then, then I began to notice that, that the tendency to wander wouldn't happen. And there'd be kind of spaces where, where the thinking process wasn't going, wasn't, wasn't <coughs> operating wasn't there. And, and so even I stopped saying, thinking, let go, and there'd be just this space. And then I could start feeling again, the, the thoughts starting to come back, and then I'd start, let go, let go. And eventually it got, could use it with Anapanasa, let go. And then I'd, then I'd, uh, I'd sometimes I'd, I like, um, I'd picture it in, in, in mental pictures with neon, neon lights. And 
let go in green and let go in red. <laughs> you know, like it was Las Vegas. <laughs> then, uh, then, uh, uh, or, or sparkling stars, you know, let go, or make it interesting, just, just so that that was the one thought I would allow in the mind. And then, then contemplating, how do you let go? So the samatha was merely suppression, you know. But then, but then that helped to 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 calm the mind and get to a place where the mind wasn't just, you know, taking me over. And then, then, then I started like inquiring, how do, how do you let go? And I remember, how do you let go? And, and then. The answer would be, just let go, that's all, just let go. <laughs> but how do you do that? And then, well, you just let go, obviously. But how do you let go? How do you just let go? <laughs> and because they, as soon as I'd say, how, how do you let go, the answer would come, just let go, which is true. But then, but then the, I was still caught in the, in the think, thoughts. And then, then I had the insight. After a while, this took quite a while, actually had the experience of letting go. And it was really very powerful, very brief, it wasn't very long, but it was, it was a real insight. So then, uh, then, I, then I had, and that insight, of course, gives you a lot of energy to pursue it, to develop it. So then, I, I knew I could let go, I knew, I knew how to let go. The thing was to, to uh, cultivate that because there's a part of me didn't want to be bothered doing that because I'm quite lazy. So I... <laughs> but I, I, but I, once you have that insight, then it does you know, you can't, it really, uh, you know, even, even if you don't want to be bothered, you're still, you're still doing it in some way. It's still, it's still, you know, you can't go back. You can't go back again. So then, uh, then I, when I went to Ajahn Chah, then I, I told him what I was doing and he, he, he said that was, very good and encouraged me. And so in the in the in in the life first two years at Wapapong I started this and and it helped to kind of adjust into a monastic uh, sangha life. But then then I began to see that I was oftentimes using this just to as a repressive technique, letting go. So then I I noticed, you know, like like the uh, when I'd repress things, like like some of the, you know, the adjusting to to a Thai forest monastery. There's a lot of a lot of uh, I'd get very paranoid, and because uh, I couldn't understand what people were saying, and and then sometimes they'd be talking about me, and I wouldn't know what they were what they were saying. And, then they, they'd be looking at me and laughing, and then I, and then I really, 
I'd get very, I'd have a lot of paranoia. And then, uh, then, um, then you'd find, you know, like, certain things would really irritate me, certain ways they would do things. It'd really irritate me. I'd feel really aggravated and critical. And uh, a lot of negativity, because it, it was just, you know, learning to live within these, this, the Vinaya, I found, I felt suffocated by it at first. I felt I was just smothering, I was being smothered with all these rules and, and I really didn't like it at all and I just, I just felt this paranoia and this suffocation. And I remember one time just feeling, uh, uh, oh. you know, I felt Ajahn Chah is like big brother watching him, you know, 1984. And I got really, you know, thought, you know, he, everything's Ajahn Chah in this monastery. It's Lumpur this and Lumpur that and Ajahn Chah and Lumpur said this and Lumpur wants that. And I got really averse. And I began to see Lumpur Chah popping up from behind every bush. <laughs> I used to think he was, you know, outside my kuti checking me out. And, and uh, because it's like, because he had tremendous kind of presence, he's such, such, such a focus for, for your life. He developed this, this big brother's watching you paranoia. But, but and, and just letting go of it, trying to let go of that, one tended to get like to be re repressing the actual emotion. So then I developed through pious to deal with with, uh, with it. So like I'd, I'd get, because it was such a strict monastery and Vinaya was such an important thing, then they, they made it so, you know, good monks are like this. And, 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 and you just felt, you know, that, you know, the, the margins for behavior were so narrow and, and good monks and then bad monks were like, if a monk drank Ovaltine in the evening, he was beyond the pale, you know. And you go, like in the town, the monks would drink Ovaltine in the evening. And in our monastery, uh, you never think of, you know, really, I'd say, the way of putting down a monk, you know, really putting him down is saying, he drinks Ovaltine. <laughs> <laughs> And that was like, you know, that meant, that, that monk's not worth bothering with. And so you get these kind of very, kind of narrow images, and you get very uptight. And I lost, I'd get humorless. I'd lost, I'd lose, I didn't have any humor for a while, just going through. So, so then, uh, I, I, having been in the Navy, you see, for four years, I'd learned how to swear when I was in the American Navy. And you know, I'm from a family that never swore. So it wasn't like part of my, my background. I mean, my parents, and we never swore anything. When I went in the Navy, that's all you ever heard. So I got quite into swearing. And uh, I found it kind of like a, a very uh, kind of useful kind of uh, safety valve 
Because swearing is, you know, to get all that anger out, swearing is a very useful thing. So, so I go off into the forest. <laughs> I wouldn't swear at anybody, you know, I wouldn't, I wasn't, but I'd, I'd swear at everything. And then that, 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 I found that really relieved, relieved the tension of, of the life, which was getting very tense and uptight. So I found that was a skillful means. And, and I trusted myself. I wasn't, I knew swearing was wrong according to the Vinay, but I was using it not to harm, but as a means to release this tension, which was, which was pretty horrible, you know, to be, to feel like this. And I didn't, and I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't dare tell anybody how I felt. So, so I had to figure out how to do it on my own. Then, uh, uh, so I found that, and I'd go back after, you know, after a while you, you just keep swearing until there was nothing left. There, no, no swear words would come. It was just completely, I couldn't bring up another swear word. And there's this kind of sense of relief I noticed, and, 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 and I'd have a, and my humor would be back, because it would be quite funny, you know, <laughs> quite amusing. So then uh, I'd go back to them, into the community, and I would, then I'd be, I, I had to, you know, I felt a lot of uh, appreciation and, and happiness there. Uh, because I did like, I liked the, the monastery and the monks and everything, so it wasn't, but it was, but the, when, but then when you're dealing with rules and restraint and and that, it can get you into a very tense state. And, uh, but Ajahn Chah had none of that, you know, he was, he had none, no tensions in that man. <laughs> but, uh, that was one upaya, after a while, you know, it wasn't necessary because you, you, you know, it wasn't, you'd see, you know, you develop wisdom around this and find ways of, of being, when you're more mindful, then you're, you're not creating the repressive tendency, you're not reinforcing repression. But it's uh, letting go and then uh, I would do a lot of things like noticing space and uh, I just contemplate, you know, space and just contemplate, you know, like if I'm noticing space I just see, you know, I see the space in the room and then I can see how space is limitless and I noticed, like, I'd do walking meditation. I'd, instead, first you start, you just notice the pressure of one foot touching the ground, and then the right foot, left foot, and then I developed to pie around noticing the foot that wasn't touching the ground. <laughs> or, or then I develop uh, awareness around the, uh, 
the space between things. Like I in, in the in the sitting in the meditation hall, and I and I, and I get so involved with the monks as person personalities because you get to know them, and uh, until you start seeing everybody as a personality, so then I start observing the spaces between the monks, just consciously determining to intending the mind toward looking at the gaps between monks rather than than fixating on the monk. And and so these are ways of, you know, just that I develop upayas to to uh, contemplate experience. Because space between monks is as present as the monk himself. So but it's not noticed. You don't don't generally notice it. Uh, I do a super practice in groups. I used to have a lot of fun with that, just by picturing all, we're all skeletons sitting here. I could visualize, you know, see, see, see a group of skeletons, or, or livers, or, <laughs> or excrement. Uh, because these things are, you know, these things are present at this moment. So it's not like, even though you're, you're kind of uh, visualizing it, yet it's, it's not like a, uh, something that's not realistic or true. So just uh, ways of taking an interest in the present moment rather than getting caught up with, I've got to keep the vinya, I've got to practice the meditation, getting into the kind of obsessive modes that are so easy to do uh, in, in any kind of uh, institution or with any technique. You can easily just get, get uh, it can easily, you know, make you very compulsive and and uh, you try, you know, if you're not reflective, oftentimes a monastic life would easily put you into a kind of, you know, you're very controlling. You thought it's got to be like this or it's wrong. And, and this meeting, uh, we had this, this monk, he used to come, he couldn't live with anybody. He's, he's a Thai monk, he's kind of in his 50s. He's very thin, extremely thin, and he had very narrow shoulders. He had this kind of hawk nose, and a no, you know, really like this. And he had all the appearance of a really you know, uptight human being. You know, so he, he had a, a tension. You saw him coming, and you felt you immediately go into kind of tension yourself. And so, he was, but he was extremely strict with the benign. But even Wapapong couldn't be strict enough for this month. So he'd have to live by himself. <laughs> because, and monks couldn't live them because they were never strict enough. But he'd get lonely sometimes. So he'd come, we'd have a, a, a Sangha meeting at Wapapong and he'd come. He always looked angry, so you know, he's probably criticizing because nobody could live up to his standards. And, and then, uh, then uh, we had this 
and he he was he was always going for the little bits in the Vinaya, like like in the northeast Thailand. One of the they have uh, pickled garlics. They they take garlic and they put it in some kind of brine, pickled pickled garlic. And these are quite tasty. Like they eat with sticky rice, and they're quite pleasant to eat. But there's this rule about bhikkhus uh, forbidden to eat gar raw garlic. So this was brought up in Sangha meeting, and uh, and I was because I liked these pickled garlic so much. I was, <laughs> I'd already taken sides, but, <laughs> but the uh, but the but anyway, this, this monk uh, started making a case. He says, you know. And they said, well, we have garlic in the food. I said, but that's cooked. But pickling is not cooking. It's raw. It's still raw. So it's forbidden. You shouldn't be eating these pickled garlics. And then some other more reasonable monks would say, well, you know, the actual pickling process, you know, <laughs> kind of works on it so that actually if you do eat pickled garlics, it doesn't leave an odor on your breath. Because yeah, that was the main objection, was, was a monk uh, would eat gar raw garlic and sit next to the Buddha and then he'd breathe on the Buddha. The Buddha was, was, you know, having had to deal with this bad breath. So, so the Buddha, Buddha made a rule about it. So, so, but if you tested out pickled garlics, you know, you, you can, it doesn't leave any odor on your breath. So that seemed to be reasonable. but. This this monk was so adamant that 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 by that you had to really be strict because you weren't sure you know you weren't sure whether the Buddha meant pickled garlic along with raw garlic so we should just dispense with pickled garlic too just to be on the safe side and then the, and then the sangha had a vote and they decided that. Uh, pickled garlics were all right, <laughs> and then then this monk he 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 kind of he was so angry he said he started he st yelled at at us he said you let them eat pickled garlics next thing they'll be drinking whiskey <laughs> I, I thought you know I'll always remember that because uh, I could see. That in myself, in a way, you know how how you you know you think if you if you kind of relax just a little bit, you're letting in the forces of evil just take you over. You've got to be a, you've got to take the strictest interpretation, the heaviest line, just to make sure. You know, I could see, and I have some of this in myself that just to be sure, because uh, you've got to be careful, and and that if you if you allow any kind of laxity or leniency in anything, it's like opening the doors where, well, today it's pickled garlics, but tomorrow it's, it, they'll all be drunk, drinking whiskey. And, and, and that was so funny, because all the monks started laughing, you know. It was, it was the kind of quintessential panic button. And uh, so that... that and I could see that how you know how that that um, that this this monk was, a, was like a David Dutta for me because he you know, he was impressive in his own way, 
the fact that he was so, you know, clear about this and what was right and that. But then you recognize also that he was not a happy person and uh, he was good, he was a good person and uh, honorable, had many virtues, but he wasn't one, someone you wanted to live with or that you would want to emulate. So just contemplating, you know, results of people's practice, not to criticize, you know, not to go around criticizing anybody, uh, which can be quite an arrogant thing, you know, but, but to uh, contemplate for yourself how to develop your practice in a way that practice doesn't become onerous or burdensome. Not meant to be uh, a burden that we carry. Monastic life isn't meant to be just a bunch of rules that keep that we have to con control ourselves because we're so if we, you know, if we didn't have these rules we'd just be you know living heedless and, and immoral lives if we didn't have all these rules to keep us in line or how to how to make the the uh, these uh, this system work for you how to how to use the tradition and the, the vinaya for mindfulness make you mind to help you to be mindful not to not to uh, diminish you or to to make life into a burdensome, uh, difficult experience. And this, I think, is very important to, to see that, that it's awakening, the idea awaken the mind. How to use the, the, like, because you, like, say, we do have the right to use the tradition, like putting ourselves in this form, then we're, we're given by the upachaya permission to use the tradition. So it's, it's, uh, it's something that, that, you know, we, and how to use this tradition in this Vinaya, so that we are carrying it on our backs and it's becoming the, making us tense and nervous, but how to use it to develop mindfulness and wisdom. Then it works. Then, then, then you begin to, how to live this life, like the qualities of simplicity and uh, fewness of needs. And, and uh, because it's a lovely life once you kind of really get a feeling for it. Because it, is, it has, a, you know, certainly one feels, you know, so, such a privileged way to, to be able to live as a human being. To live in, in a very simple way, and and uh, and to have the, you know, to be able to live with other beings, and to to uh, like like being a, a like my life here in England, and think of, you know, I've been in a position where I can I can give occasions, I can build monasteries or give opportunities for people to to practice or to commit themselves or whatever, you know, in many different levels. So even on the level of, of my own personal development, but also as a 
as a member of a society, you know, it's, it has its, its tremendous value. But it's, it's like, Sila Pattabharamasa is where you think monastic life is going to transform you. So you're always waiting, you know, kind of waiting around and become a monk or a nun and then I practice long enough, I'll be transformed and, and you know, the rules and the discipline, I need that to, to hold me in line and then the meditation techniques and once I get all that together then someday it'll, the, I'll be zapped with the enlightenment experience. Uh, and so if that's, that's Sila Bhattabharamasa, it's like clinging to rites and rituals or conventions as ways of purifying yourself and, and expecting this to enlighten you, you know, keeping the rules and being a good monk or nun and, and all that will, will, you'll be rewarded for it. But then Sila Bhattabharamasa is one of the fetters that so it's not, you know, to see that it, that the the vinaya and the tradition is for it's, it's you know it's, it's it's we're given the right to use it to to develop mindfulness around this 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 particular conventional form. So <clears throat> how it affects us, you know, and how we and it brings up our our blind spots and our rebelliousness and resistance, our, how we attach and cling to it or expect or demand or uh, sometimes you hate it and resent it and brings up all it. But these mental states are all grist for the mill, they're part of the path. And then you realize you know, it's up to you what you do with this tradition. It, you know, it, it, it's not like a commando outfit to where you try to make everybody do the same thing. But even though in one way it's